Take your Bibles and turn to me. Uh, well, just take your Bibles. You just take your Bible. Take it with you everywhere you go. Take it seriously. I mean, just take it. That's all I know to tell you. All righty, we have shifted our kingdom of God look to Sunday mornings, and we're going to begin tonight sometime. We're going to spend some time uh, serious tonight on looking into the future. And we're going to start talking about the study of the second coming of Jesus called eschatology. And I, this is my thing right here. This is where I really have fun, talking about the second coming of Jesus and world events leading up to it. Now, <clears throat> people often, once in a while, they'll wonder, why would you study the end times and the events leading up to the second coming of Jesus? Well, there's a reason for it. And there's a reason. Why did the Holy Spirit, it's called prophecy. Prophecy is when the, when the Bible predicts the future, reveals the future. And here's, here's a question I want you to ponder. Why did the Holy Spirit put this in the Bible? Well, you, you realize one-fourth of the Bible is prophecy. Full one-fourth of the Bible is prophecy looking into the future. And the Holy Spirit's put it in here. I want to give you three reasons why we should study it. And we should know what it says. Number one, that we might know what to expect. We need to, you need to know what to expect. Now, listen, I, I'm one of those, I believe we're at the second coming of Jesus. It may not be tonight, but I believe we're living in what they call the last days. I don't know any serious spirit-filled Bible teacher who doesn't believe that we're living at the, at the close of the age, at the second coming of Jesus. As you're going to see later, you know, in a few weeks, the book of Revelation divides world history into seven periods. Beginning from the time Jesus went back to his throne till he comes back to this earth, seven periods. No Bible teacher I know disputes that we're in the seventh of those seven periods. That's just without question there. And I believe we're living at the second coming of Jesus. I hope to see him in my lifetime. I'm going to see him one way or the other, but I'd love, I'm going to see him here, there, or in the air, but I'd like to see him on the earth. I believe we're living at the second coming of Jesus, starting here this more and more. So we need to know what to expect. Let me tell you what else. We need to know what not to expect. Listen, the Bible is the only place you can find the true future period in the discussion. Nostradamus knew some things, but he didn't know it all. God knows it all. And the Bible's true. The second reason that we might not be caught off guard, and this is what we're going to talk about tonight. Jesus specifically said when he taught on the second coming, he said, these are the things that are going to happen. Do not be troubled when these things start to happen. What's happening in our nation right now? People are very troubled over what's going on. Jesus told you 2,000 years ago this was coming. And we need to know what's going on so that we don't get our world rocked by what the Bible said years ago was going to come. And the third reason we do, we, we do, we do, is so we might know how to respond to these times. So we might know how to respond to these times. Listen to this verse out of 2 Peter, which has so much prophecy in it. 2 Peter says this, seeing how these things will come to pass, what manner of persons ought we to be? How shall we then live? So the Bible said we need to direct our lives in light of what's going on in the earth through prophecy. There was a, in the Bible, it spoke of the sons of Issachar, who were men that understood the times they lived in that the people might know what to do. We need to understand the times we're living in so that we might know what to do. And again, I just love this stuff. My thing is to, you just think about Jesus coming back. It's wonderful anyway, but I want us to look tonight. We're going to begin to, listen, every believer, every follower of Jesus needs to have sort of a working knowledge of, it's called eschatology, the study of the end of the age and the second coming of Jesus. And when I look tonight, I want to do an overview of this. Where are we on God's calendar right now? What does the Bible say about God's calendar and where are we on that calendar right now? And where can you put your finger down on God's calendar? So we're going to look at that tonight. Uh, let me mention a couple things biblically. World history is on a timetable. World history is not just careening to see somewhere at a land. I promise you, world history is on an exact timetable. And you need to understand this. I'm going to give you five truths about God's timeline in the Bible. And I'm going to give you the scriptures for these. This world is not just, we're not just going to see what happens. God knows what's going to happen. And he wrote down what's going to happen. And this world is on a specific timeline with God. We're going to look tonight at where are we on that timeline. Five truths about God's timeline. Number one, God saw it all before it began. The Bible speaks in 2 Timothy 1.9. These times that were given to us, God ordained before time began. Before he ever said, let there be light, he knew how the final day would wrap up. I'm going to say that again. Before he ever said, let there be light, he knew all of world history. He knew when the final day would be, and he knew all the details to the end. 
You got you to get this down in your heart. Understand this, that he has an exact understanding of world history. Number two, Satan knows his rulership is timed. Yeah, matter of fact, let's look at one of the great verses about that. Turn with me to Revelation. That's where I should have had you turn to. Turn with me to the book of Revelation which is a book of the revelation of the end of the age and the coming world kingdom. Then we're going to look at one of the great verses in the Bible. And uh, I want you to hear some truths about this. Revelation chapter 12, Satan knows that his rulership is timed. And this is a key verse in understanding world history and what's going on in the earth right now. Revelation chapter 12. I love Revelation 12. Uh, Revelation 12, verse 12 says this, Therefore, here's the, and this is a set period in time, Revelation 12, 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Now at this period in history that it's speaking of, it will say, it says there will be rejoicing in heaven. But what does it say about those who are still on the earth at this period? What's the word woe mean? We don't use woe much unless you're riding a horse. Woe means trouble. All through the Bible, when you see the word woe, like woe is me, I'm in trouble. You see that often. Trouble to the people who are on the earth. So there's going to be trouble on the earth. And here's the reason. Revelation 12, 12. Woe to those who are on the earth, to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows. What does the devil know? His time is short. Well, it's one of the great verses in prophecy right there that teaches us what? The evil one knows he is not going to rule forever. He knows there's a, now he doesn't know the exact day. Only God knows that. But he knows he's approaching the end of his rope. He knows that his lease is expiring on this earth. And what does the Bible say? He's going to be so enraged. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to inflict all hell in the earth right as he sees his time approaching. So it's one of the great lessons of prophecy is that he will come to the earth. Those who are on the earth during this period will have woe or great trouble because in an absolute hellish fury, he's going to unleash everything he's got right before he's consigned to hell forever and Jesus comes back to the earth. But here's the point. He knows his time is limited. He is not God Almighty. He doesn't have an eternal lease. He's got a temporary lease on this planet. Number three, you need to settle something biblically. I, a fellow asked me about this this past week. Let's settle something. Satan rules this earth. A fellow asked me past week, he said, you know, my preacher always says God's running the earth and he's in control of everything and it's going to be all right. And I said, your preacher's telling you wrong. Can I just say, can I appeal to your reason? If God was running it, do you think it'd be in this mess? This don't look like something he'd do to me. Let's settle this issue. He does not rule the world. God Almighty does not rule the world. Satan's the ruler of this world. We won't take time to build it. Turn me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And I'm going to show you how he got to rule it. 1 John chapter 5 says this. We are of God, little children. We know that we're of God. And the whole world lies under the control of the evil one. 1 John 5, 19. Who's that verse says running the earth? Not Jesus. John chapter 14, right before Jesus left to go back to heaven, he said, the ruler of this world is coming right now. This is his hour and he has nothing to do with me. Jesus called him the ruler of this world. 1 John 5, 19 says the whole world's under his sway. Let me show you where he got it from. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. You're going to have to do Bible flex tonight. Luke chapter 4. I want you to see what the Bible says in Luke chapter 4 about who is running the earth right now. All right, Luke chapter 4 verse 5 says this. Luke 4, 5, then the devil took Jesus on a high mountain, showed him what? All the kingdoms of this world, everything on this world, all its uh, kingdoms. And that doesn't just mean geographical national kingdoms. That means every kingdom, business kingdoms, entertainment kingdoms, sports kingdoms, you name it. Everything on this planet showed him all that stuff. Verse 5 says this, in a moment of time, and the devil said to him, all this authority I'll give to you and their glory, it has been delivered to me. Who's got the authority on this earth? Satan does very clearly. It's delivered to him. And watch what he said. I give control of this earth to whoever I want to have it. Who gave him the authority on this earth? Not God, Adam. 
Adam was put in this earth. God told Adam, you have dominion in the earth. The earth is under your control. And when he rebelled against God and obeyed Satan in the garden, he handed control of this earth over to the enemy. And he's been running it ever since. Surely you think if Jesus ruled the world, he could do better than this. Come look at the second world. You'll see what his activity looks like. So Satan rules the earth. Number four, Satan's rule, truth number four, Satan's rule will be terminated at God's ordained time. There's a date set. If you want to look it up, we won't look right now, but Revelation chapter 20 verses one through three is where God's ordained time has come to say, that's it. And here's, here's the amazing thing. This will encourage you. The amazing thing about it, when God's set time comes to wrap all darkness up, guess who he sends to do it? One angel. One angel come and binds the entire power of hell and Satan himself and cast him into the eternal abyss. It only takes one angel to wrap up everything he's doing on the earth. That's Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. It's at a set time. One of the funniest things, a demon sort of let it slip out. In uh, the book of Matthew, Jesus is speaking. And in Matthew chapter 8, a little spirit said this. Do you remember when Jesus confronted, two demon-possessed men confronted Jesus in Matthew chapter 8, and the demon spoke to him, and they said, our name is Legion, because there's many of us. I want you to listen to what the Bible said the demon said to Jesus. We know who you are, son of God. Did you come to torment us before the time? So the demons know who Jesus is, and the demons know there's a set time. That's why they were so shocked to see God walking on the earth. We said, we didn't realize our time was up yet. What are you doing here? Well, what's the answer to that question? Did you come to torment us before the time? Answer, he sure did. And he did a good job of it too. But even the demons know there is a set day and that time will be up and we will rule no more. Matter of fact, they'll all be collided in eternal destruction. Number five, this truth of God's timeline, the most troublesome period of world history will be immediately before the end. The most troublesome period of world history will be immediately before the second coming of Jesus. That's Matthew 24, 21, where Jesus said, in that day there will be trouble in the earth such as has never been in the history of the world. So we expect that this thing's going to end up with a great big bang and a tremendous destruction right before the second coming of Jesus. Now, I want to give you, we want to shift gears now. So those five things that I just told you, uh, they'll save you a whole lot of heartache and grief concerning what's going on. Let me tell you what you need to start doing. You need to start watching the news with your Bible right beside it. Watch the news with your Bible right beside it. Because uh, I I, sometimes I get up and I'll, I'll read the newspaper and I'll just say, well, let me see if the Times News is caught up with the Bible yet. And I'm amazed when I watch the news, I just go, Luke chapter 4. Matthew 17, Revelation 21, 13. I mean, it's just the, the news reads like the Bible in prophecy. So you always keep the two together. And the Bible said we need to know several things. God knew all this before time began. Satan is on a limited lease. His lease will expire on a set day. But right before the second coming of Jesus, he's going to have his greatest last kick. You heard of Custer's last stand. The devil's last stand will take period in a time called the tribulation leading up to the second coming of Jesus. All right, let's do a biblical overview of coming world conditions or the signs of the times. Now, Jesus taught the major teaching on the second coming of Christ. And this is uh, what we can expect as we move toward the second coming of Jesus. This is hilarious. Well, it's not hilarious. It's, you just read the Bible and you go, this book is right. God wrote this stuff down 2,000 years ago and it's accurate today. And when I read these things, I just read that. That's my nation. That's what's going on in the earth right now. But the, uh, the, every sign that you see points to one thing in the earth, the increase of demonic activity in the earth. As was prophesied in Isaiah 60, darkness will cover the earth. Well, what's it going to look like in my hometown when darkness begins to move? What's it going to look like on a national political level? What's it going to look like in, in economics? The Bible talks about the economy of the world and, and those type things. And everything that happens is an outgrowth of the darkness covering the earth. And what will it look like in our day-to-day -day lives when this begins to happen? All right, Jesus said there are 10 things you need to look for. And uh, I want to look at a couple of warnings to start with. And then we're going to go to the major teaching of Jesus. Turn me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. See if you agree with the Bible here. One of the things we need to do as we draw closer to the second coming of Jesus or to closer to anything is we need to really nail it down in our hearts. God's word is eternal truth. And on this rock I stand. We go hold to the Bible come hell or high water. 
because it's under great attack today, as you're going to see. In 2 Timothy 3, the Bible says this. Now, watch these words in 2 Timothy 3. You got it? But know this. Dear ones, if God says you should know this, you should. It's important that we know this. Can you hear a father's heart telling us this stuff? Know this. Then in the what? All right, let me just pause. The Bible says there's something called the last days. Now, one of the signs in 2 Peter 3 says this. Scoffers. You know what a scoffer is, don't you? That'd be a, that'd be a news commentator. A scoffer. Our word is smart aleck. Scoffers, smart alecks will arise in the last days saying, where is his coming? In other words, they will mock the notion that Jesus is coming back to earth. I want to make an announcement. Jesus is coming back to this earth. And you can expect people to scoff and they'll say it always has been, it always will be. The Bible said, know this, that in the last days, watch these words, perilous times will come. Describe the last days. What's well, one word? Perilous. Now we don't use the word perilous in our culture anymore, but the word perilous uh, it just comes down to, uh, it's used, uh, the word danger is used, troubled, difficult times. Paul talked about being in the perils of robbers and murderers. What does the Bible describe as the last day? And listen, you need to know this because there's a lot of teaching going around right now, even in Christian circles, that if we would just really pray, this world will get better and better and better. And then we can hand it to Jesus, a perfect earth. Sorry. Oh, how I wish. We better stick with the book. Tell me what the last days are going to be like. Perilous times, difficult. Some Bibles uh, translate like this. Stressful times will come. Any stress you know of in a nation near you right now? Stressful times will come. Difficult times will come. Troubled days will come. The Bible teaches you and I. And then he mentions 16 signs of the, and they're all heart attitudes. Darkness always works in the heart. And wherever the heart of man goes, life tumbles afterwards. And every one of the 16 signs he mentions there are attitudes, attitudes of the heart. And they also evolve around this. Every one of them involve the dissolving of human character, morals, and decency. And they mentioned that out of those 16, it's three things that people are going to start loving. What are the three things people are really going to love for the second coming of Jesus? Themselves. Men will be self-centered, lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. And this is a shift in our culture. Uh, you, can, you can read the list sometime if you want to. Men will be lovers of themselves, self-centered, lovers of money, greedy, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving. See the word unforgiving. It's a Greek word for irreconcilable. What's our, what's our term for it in our culture today? Cancel culture. Anybody heard of the cancel culture? You, you, make, you make one half a mistake. They want to cost you a job, put your children in jail, never let you eat again. We cannot, irreconcilable means we can't make it right with each other. I want to stay apart from you. What's happening in our land today? And the Bible goes on to describe, you can take those 16 words and say, did they get this out of the USA or where did this come from? Well, it's not just our nation. And uh, you can see the, the picture of it there, but it's the dissolving of human characters. All right. Number two, number one, troubled times. Know this, difficult times will come and it's going to evolve around human character and the way people treat each other and the dissolving of Number two, the rejection of God's truth and God's word. It's going to be the major factor. Turn to First Timothy chapter one. Turn back one, uh, one book there. First Timothy chapter four. First Timothy chapter four says this. Now the Holy Spirit expressly says... So he's teaching me and you, in the latter times, some will do what? Turn away from the faith, turn away from God's truth and God's word. Why would people turn away from the almighty, all loving, all knowing, all important God? Why would they do it in that verse? Because of deception from demonic presence. And people are going to turn away from the faith. Uh, matter of fact, turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 4 one more time. And let me show you something. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. 2 Timothy 4, 3, the time will come, I've written has come, when they will not endure sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? Just Bible teaching. They will not endure the truth of the Bible, but will turn according to their own desires because they have itching ears. They will hire for themselves teachers, turn their ears away from what? Truth and be turned to fables. What does the Bible say? In the latter days, people will say, do not tell us God's truth. We don't want to know the truth. 
We want you to tell us what we want to hear. And whether it's, it's college professors, preachers, uh, media teachers, whoever it is, but people will say, here's the bottom line in the, in the latter days. Here's what's going to be. Here's what's going to come out of this nation and other nations. We are not going to change to line up with God. God's going to have to change to line up with us. Having itching ears after their own desires. Are we not seeing that all over this nation right now? In churches, denominations, and whatnot. So it's a turning away from the truth and the rejection of God's truth. And listen, not just the culture. Our culture turned away a long time ago. Now the church is doing it. Our church is turning that way. Let me show you one more about three or four pages back in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Well, this is a great passage on the second coming of Jesus. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus. What is the major theme of the New Testament? The second coming of Jesus. 270 times in just the New Testament, it alludes to Jesus coming back to this earth. So it said, concerning the coming of Jesus and our gathering together to him, do not be soon shaken in mind or troubled by a spirit or a letter. Don't be upset if somebody tells you you missed the second coming. Verse three, let no one deceive you by any means. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first. What has to happen before Jesus comes back to this earth? The falling away is the Greek word aposte, aposte, apostasy is the word we get out of it. You can't fall away from the faith unless you were in it. So we're going to see a falling away from the faith before the second coming of Jesus as the scripture teaches you and I. Plan on that. All right, now I want to, those are the first two. I want you to see, can I put it in language you can understand? Stinking attitudes and folks going to put their fist in God's face. <laughs> there it is. I mean, Southern Alamance. There it is. I'm just, I didn't mean that part. That's just my language. I'll put it where you can understand it. I want us to turn to the major teaching on the second coming of Jesus, which is Matthew 24, where Jesus spoke so clearly about it. And what you want to hear in all the scriptures, when you're looking at anything about the second coming or the wrapping up of the age, you want to hear the heart of God. It's the heart of a father. And it's the heart of a father saying, I want you to be ready for this. And I, I, listen, you're going, we're going, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. We do not want to crawl through these days. We want to shine through these days. That's the major message of the second coming of Jesus. All right, Matthew 24. I love this. This is the primary teaching on the second coming of Jesus. The greatest teaching Jesus did on it. And I love this passage. In Matthew 24, it's where Jesus, let's put in verse three. Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the what? The sign of your second coming and the end of the age. Got it? There at the Mount of Olives, apparently Jesus was talking about the wrapping up of the earth. And they came to him and they said, would you tell us what it'll look like right before it happens? What'd they ask him for? Signs. Can we have some signs that is fixing to wind down? And so Jesus goes into the great teaching about the signs of the second coming. Uh, in this passage, verse 4, he said, Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceive you. What's the first thing Jesus said about the second coming? What do you see as the theme throughout all the Bible concerning the second coming? We've already read several verses right here. Deception, 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 and delusion in the earth. All righty. So the Bible said, Jesus said, don't, let, don't be deceived. He gives us about eight or nine, depending on how you break them up, signs here. I want you to look at them with me. All right, Matthew 24, the Bible says this, number three, which you've already seen the first two. Number three is religious deception. Jesus said in verse four, take heed that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying I am Christ and will do what? Deceive many people. Religious deception will flood the earth before the second coming of Jesus. I am seeing the craziest things. I never dreamed I'd see stuff like this these days. I'm, I'm just going, you have got to be kidding me. And we're hearing the craziest stuff right now. And uh, I want you to look at a word in there with me. Will a few goofballs in California be deceived? They've been there for years. <laughs> what does the Bible say about people being deceived? Does it not say they will come and deceive what? Many. Tremendous deception. You say, well, Brother Brown, what does it mean saying I am Christ? Could mean one of two, and we're seeing both of these. People can come and say, yes, Jesus is the Christ, but they will still walk in deception and darkness. And they'll confess Jesus is Christ. Or they will say, and the language goes both ways here in the Greek, they will say, I am Christ. And you say, what fool would follow somebody who thinks he's Jesus? 
oh, take a number and get in line, Doc. Pick up the newspaper. It was years ago when Shirley McLean stood on the West Coast on the beach and said, I am the Savior. Shirley? Could we at least have Arnold or somebody that looks more like one? I mean, my goodness, Shirley, let them kill you, put you, in a, put you in a tomb, guard you. You walk out there, we'll talk about it. Till then, go back and keep smoking whatever you're smoking. She done lost her mind. Why would anybody believe that Shirley McLean's the Messiah? What does it say? Deception. And you're going to see the craziest things in the name of God in these days. Religious deception. What's the first thing Jesus said? Religious deception. So Brother Biden, what's the only way a person can keep from being deceived? See that book in your hand? Cling to that book. And not just parts of it. The whole of thy word is truth. A lot of people come quoting Bible verses and they have a spirit of deception with them. Cling to that book. And the first time somebody ever puts a question mark over this book, as my grandpa used to say, put one hand over your bill, fold them with the other and grab your wife and get the heck out of Dodge. Don't let anybody put a question mark over this book. Religious deception. Number four, international conflict. Verse six says this. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. These things must come to pass. Wars and rumors of wars. Growing international conflict. And let me tell you this. We'll look at it later out of the book of Daniel and out of the book of Revelation. The focal point of international conflict is always going to be what? Drawing toward the second coming of Jesus. The Middle East. It's going to be nation Israel. Nation Israel is ground zero for the second coming of Jesus and all the, the craziness that will go on. But we're, we're just, in, in my lifetime, this thing has escalated into the last eight or ten years. It's becoming like whack-a-mole. Y'all know what whack-a-mole is. Knock one down, two jump up. Knock two down, three jump up. That's what it's becoming. If China doesn't act like an idiot, Russia goes crazy. Iran's crazy all the time. And now you've got the Sudan. It's just wars and just international conflict. Who is the author of war? Not the Prince of Peace. And so there's going to be international conflict. Number five, ethnic conflict. This is the one that's addressing our nation right now. The Bible said this, verse seven, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Terrible translation. When we think of nation, we think of geographical boundaries. United States, Mexico, Spain, Canada, the word, that's not, not nation as in geography. It's the Greek word ethnos. What word do we get from ethnos? Ethnicity. Ethni it's not that United States will rise against Canada. Ethnicities will turn on one another. Racial strife. What are we struggling with in our nation right now? Racial strife. And the Bible said, uh, do, do you notice it does not say that nation will run from nation. It says they'll do what? nation will come against ethnic groups will start fighting with each other there's going to be listen our, our enemy satan above all else he is a divider john chapter 10 says the wolf catches the flock and divides them and if you'll study world history carefully there has been no issue that satan has divided people over more than race ethnicities and he's dividing today and he's doing a bang up job of it. Um, people are wondering, for instance, in our nation, a lot of places right now, what can we do to bring racial reconciliation? What does the Bible say? Until every heart is born again, people are not going to reconcile at heart level. Now, we can work for laws to help people and protect people. We can turn public sentiment in a direction. But until a man gets a new heart, he cannot love like God loves. And this is going to be one of the great signs. And of course, we're seeing this globally. Uh, tremendous hostility in the Middle East. The Middle East is riddled. The Middle East is the most prejudiced uh, footprint on the earth by far and away. And the division there is not between white and black or white and Indian. The division there is between Sunni and Shiite. And those two, they absolutely despise one another. And that's why you have so much conflict in the Middle East. In Africa, the tremendous genocide that keeps breaking out is fixing to break loose in Nigeria right now, just like it did in Rwanda several years back, where through ethnic cleansing, you know, the, uh, Serbia, Herzegovina, the Bosnians years ago, and it, there's just this hellish hatred in the hearts of people racially. Where's it come from? The Prince of Darkness. Now, I've had people say, and I, I just, I'm going to throw my two cent worth in for what it's worth. I've had people say, well, there's racism in the church. There is no racism in the family of God. Amen. There might be racism in the organized religion, 
But in the family of God, there is no racism. He who says, I love God and hates his brother is a liar and the truth is not in him. How can you love God whom you have not seen if you can't love your brother whom you have seen? Let me tell you about the true church of the living God. In the book of Revelation, I see a picture of it. And I saw a number no man can number from every tribe and tongue and people and nation worshiping together and saying, worthy is the lamb for he was slain from the foundation of the world. Racism is hell. It's from hell. And it's in the heart of those who cling to hell. Once you're born again, you get a new heart. All right, so the Bible says that this ethnic conflict will escalate uh, in the days to come. Number six, I want you to look at the latter part of verse seven with me. He mentions three things. There will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes. Of course, famine is food shortness. And we're running into a resource problem all over the earth right now. Who, who would have ever... We didn't hear about these locust plagues until last year. And I, I see on national news, locust plagues of biblical proportion. So I start going back to Egypt with Moses again. Covering, of course, you have tremendous food shortages there. What is pestilence? The Greek word is leoimos, and it means deadly infectious disease. Pestilence is infectious disease. Anybody know of any infectious diseases going around in the land these days? I mean, our enemy has got a cash full of stuff. And then, of course, natural disaster. Let me tell you something about this precious earth God gave us to protect and enjoy. This earth is God's masterpiece. I, I'm an, I mean, I love conservation, but the Bible says in Romans 8 that the whole earth will groan under the weight of human sin. And we're destroying our planet and uh, we're going to wind this thing down and even the earth will tremble before the second coming of Jesus. And it groans to be released into the freedom of the sons of God, Romans 8 says. Number seven is found in verse nine. This will encourage you right here. Uh, well, let's back up, read verse eight. These are the beginnings of sorrows. See the word sorrows right there. It doesn't mean like a Hank Williams song. Uh, you girls have had sorrows before. It's the word odeon, birth pangs. All right, my wife's had three children and um, we knew she was pregnant because she growed over time. So it was a slow growing thing. Over time, she growed. But all of a sudden at a set time in that pregnancy, she went mm, and had the first, what's it called? Birth pang, which meant not right now, but you had better be making your way to hospital. All right, you got pregnancy, which, which means way down the road. But when that first birth pain comes, what does that mean? The time is now, you better be getting to the hospital. My wife, we, we lived in a little place called Peachland. It was an hour's drive to the Charlotte Catholic, I mean the Presbyterian Hospital, where we had to have junior, the first junior. And there's an hour's drive. And she woke up that morning. She said, mm, oh, I think. And this first one, and dang, a car come pulled up. It was my mama and all her sisters. So we were hung out to drive for a while because we don't tell nobody when we birthing babies. We slip off incognito and do it. And we're over, she's wanting to feed donuts and Kay's over there trying to collapse. I said, let's get to the hospital. Here's the point. The Bible said, when you see these things, these are what? The beginning of it's on. Birth pangs, the second coming of Jesus. So it's a great promise there that Jesus makes in verse 8. These are the beginnings of the second coming of Jesus. Verse 9, they will deliver you up to trouble and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Number 7 is the spirit of Antichrist. It's an Antichrist spirit in people that hates God and what else does it hate? Those who love him and follow him. Jesus told you in John chapter 15, right after he said, abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. You're my friend. You're not just my servant. I've told you. And then he said this, do not marvel if the world hates you. If they hated me, they'll hate you. Let me tell you, this is not you. If your neighbor, if you agitate your neighbor because you love Jesus, it's not their fault. First John chapter four says, this is the spirit of Antichrist. People don't even know what it is. I went to a church years ago to preach and uh, the head deacon, I just noticed he was just... He was just mean. The only way I know to say it, he was just mean. People say, well, that's his personality. I said, personalities don't act like that. And uh, he, he was just like he was aggravated the whole time. And he was just rude to me almost. Well, it was rude. I didn't know almost about it. And I've been there about a week preaching Father Gun. He said, I just don't like you. I said, well, praise God. Amen. Sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And he finally said, I just don't like you. And then he said, I don't know why. I just don't like you. Well, I knew why he didn't like me. The spirit of life of God inside of me was agitating the unholy, demonic, religious spirit inside of him and he didn't know what was going on. 
bless his dear heart, he was lost as a ball in high weeds. He didn't know what was going on. He just thought, I just don't like him. Well, it was the spirit in him that was bothered by the spirit in me. It is the spirit of Antichrist that cannot stand the spirit of Jesus. Man, you just have to be toting Jesus around, making everybody mad. That's what it's going to be. But Jesus said the spirit of Antichrist in the latter days. How many of you believe, how many of you believe that Satan knows who loves Jesus? You talk about a funny verse, Acts chapter 19. There was these uh, boys, they decided they was going to do some exorcism, not exercising, exorcism. And they were going to cast some demons out and use the name of Jesus. So they thought, this is funny. Everybody's doing it. We'll try it. So they found them a demonized person. And they said, we command you in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches to come out. And the demon spoke and said, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but I don't know you. And the Bible said he beat them seven boys so bad they ran out of the house naked. And I'm going to tell you something. When one man puts a whooping on you and you run out naked, you have been whooped. I mean, that's about as thorough whooping as you can get right there. What did that demon say? I know Jesus. We knew they knew Jesus. What else did that demon say? I know Paul. I know who loves Jesus. The dark network knows who has Jesus in them. You can rest assured of that. So if folks at your office just can't stand you, just smile at them and tell them it ain't you. But the Bible prophesies the spirit of Antichrist. And listen, we're starting to see this in the land where there's just a growing hostility, a growing hostility toward everything that is Jesus. Uh, they can say accommodation if they want to, but I got news for you. Their goal is to flush everything that is Jesus. Number eight, all right, is found in verse 10. It's the darkening of the human heart. Verse 10, and then many will be offended, betray one another, and what? Hate one another. The latter part of verse 12 says this, the love of many will grow cold. So what we're seeing is dwindling love among people, growing hatred. And why is that? Revelation chapter six, verse three says this. And that day, a red horse will go out and the rider of that horse has the power to take peace out of the earth that men will hate one another and war with one another. And you're going to see the darkening and the hardening of the human heart. That This is one of the greatest signs you're going to see. And the Bible talks about people being without natural affection. Just the hardening of the human heart. Listen, if you're old as I am, you can see it already. I've seen a massive exchange in my lifetime already of just how people are becoming so hard-hearted and just so hateful. I mean, and we always had, there's always been bad folks through world history, but this is a growing, and listen, it all, what does everything go back to? The heart. Everything goes back to the human heart. So the Bible prophesies the darkening of the human heart. All right, number nine, which we're seeing played out in our land today, is the spirit of anarchy. Verse 12, lawlessness will abound. Growing anarchy. Let me tell you what, the, listen, the heart of Satan is anarchy. Satan was a created being who refused to get under God's authority, and he wanted to rebel against God's authority. That's why he got thrown out of heaven. Satan always incites anarchy. Let me tell you about human beings from Scripture. And from personal experience, and you'll agree with me, any place two people are, you have to have rules. <laughs> I don't care if it's a marriage, a jail, <laughs> a, a, a school, any place you've got two people together, there have to be some rules. So I hate rules. There it is. That's the spirit of anarchy that hates rules. I love rules. Thank God you can't drive 125 miles an hour drunk on the highway. I'm glad you can't. Thank you. I wish you'd quit doing it. Thank God for rules. Do you realize the only reason we're alive is because of rules? Marriages have to have rules. Churches have to have rules. Families have to have rules. Our God is the God who sets rules. Well, if you have to have rules, what else do you have to have? Rule keepers. If you're going to have law, you have to have law enforcement. And uh, you say, well, law enforcement's not perfect. Never has been in the history of the world. God knew it before he put them down here. And of course, I'm not condoning evil and sin. You know that. But there's a spirit of anarchy that says, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. We're seeing that in our homes right now where children will not let their parents tell them what to do. My wife and I on occasion watch a movie. <laughs> we was watching one the other night and this young had done something. This fellow hugged her. I said, he needs to quit hugging and take his belt off, tear her butt up. That's what he needs to do. <laughs> Never mind. I'm, I'm stuck in the 50s and stuck in the Bible. In our schools. <laughs> now, I, I, I went to school back in the age of the dinosaur, rode my pet dinosaur to school. <laughs> I promise you, if a teacher told me to shut my mouth, because I remember the last time I didn't, I promise you, we have seen a total collapse of discipline in the public schools. And for, well, it's the spirit of anarchy. 
And you say, well, them terrible children. They're terrible children like that because the parents are like that. And we're seeing rebellion in the marketplace between management. We're seeing it in churches. And now we're seeing it at a government level. And you, this spirit of anarchy is just that I'll do whatever I want to do to hell with everybody else. That's the spirit of the age. And that is the spirit of Satan will not come under authority. And we're starting to see that in the land. It's a free country. I can do whatever I want to do. Good God have mercy. Anyway, the spirit of anarchy. And then last of all, this is the great one. Verse 4. 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to the nations and then the end will come. The gospel is going to circle the globe. What's the most important thing on this earth? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say it like Jesus said it. What would it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? What good would it do to live your little three seconds on this life if you perished and went to hell for all of eternity? You say, surely you're not one of them old-fashioned preachers that believes in hell. There's that new teaching coming out of churches that does not believe the Bible anymore. Now listen to me. This craziness of getting away from the Bible and not realizing that the gospel is the hope of the universe. It's the only hope of humanity. And the Bible said God is going to make sure. What did he say? He's going to make sure that gospel circles the globe. It's going to go into every corner, everywhere. Before Jesus comes back, every tribe and people of tongue has got to have access to the gospel. And people have got to have a chance to hear that Jesus is the son of God who died for their sins. And the gospel is going around the globe. What's the great advent that's going to help us do that? Somebody say it. Technology. Man, technology is the secret to getting the gospel around the globe now. And there's times you couldn't get to different places. Now we got little, like a size of a pack of cigarettes, little uh, solar Bibles. They just hold them up in the air where there's no electricity, no nothing in their language. God's doing such tremendous things around there. While we're watching the earth implode at times and go crazy, listen to what the Bible said. God is on the move. And the Spirit of God's working in the earth right now. Let me tell you why he's working right now. Because if a man had a hundred sheep and lost one, he would go after the one that's lost. And our father's serious about getting the gospel around the world. And if you want, to build, you want to partner with him, help him get the gospel around the earth. Help him get it around Alamance County and help him get it around the globe. But these are wonderful days that we're living in as all, all these things begin to happen. Now remember, as we, as we see these things, the Bible said every believer should have a working knowledge of the second coming so that when you see these things happen, you don't freak out and go, what in the world's going on? Right there it is. This has been in here for 2,000 years. We're reading it in the newspaper now. There it was years ago. And Jesus said, what? Know these things. So we see these things, right? These are some of the signs of the second coming of Jesus. There are many more in other uh, prophetic books. One of my, let me tell you what I'm seeing unfold today. We'll look at this later. In Revelation chapter 13, the Bible talks about something called the mark of the beast. Has anybody ever heard of the mark of the beast? Well, it's Revelation chapter 13, and it's, it talks about the mark of the beast. And, and uh, it's okay if we disagree on some minor points. I've got to have more now. I've got a bunch of amens on that. Okay. It's okay if we disagree on some minor points. I don't know that the mark of the beast is going to be a literal mark. The Bible said this. You must receive a mark in your forehand, or your forehead or your forehand in order to be able to buy or sell. And whoever does not receive the mark of the beast will be shut out of the marketplace. All right, that's Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 and 17. I don't think the mark of the beast is going to be a literal mark. I remember everybody thought it was going to be a chip implanted under your skin and all that stuff. I don't think it's a literal anything. And that, it may be. I may be wrong on this because the Bible doesn't say. I believe it's this. You have to think like the beast tells you how to think and you have to live like he tells you how to live the practice of your hand. And if you don't do it, you'll be shut out of the marketplace. What's going on in this nation right now? Boycotting those who refuse to knuckle under the society's rules. Tried it on Chick-fil-A and what happened to them? Man, Chick-fil-A flooded the place. People found out that somebody does love Jesus in this nation. But all across this land, there's going to come a chilling. If you don't say it like we tell you to say it, and you don't think like we tell you to think, we'll cut you out of the marketplace. Financially, we'll hurt you financially. And that's one of the signs of the second coming of Jesus is that the enemy is going to apply pressure to people to turn from the truth of God and embrace their society's mores and attitudes and whatnot. There are many others. All righty, let's look in Matthew 24. Let me look, show you something real quick here. Matthew 24 is where Jesus speaks of these things coming. Verses 15 through 28 is where Jesus describes something called the tribulation period. We're not going to look at that tonight. But it's a period of time, seven years in history, right before the second coming of Jesus. And they're the most difficult times in world history. That's the tribulation period. 
in verse 29, right after the tribulation period of verses 15 through 28, is the second coming of Jesus. Immediately, verse 29, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of heaven will be shaken, and the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will what? Mourn and will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven in power and great glory. What does the Bible say? As soon as that tribulation period ends in seven years, Jesus will be seen by all the world coming back. What is the world's response to the second coming of Jesus in that verse? All the tribes of the earth will mourn. They don't want to see him come back. Let me make an announcement in the book of Revelation. Jesus is not sweet little gentle Jesus that he was when he walked on the earth. He is not the lamb of God that holds the shepherd that holds the lamb anymore. In the book of Revelation, let me tell you how fearful Jesus as judge is. Now see, he is savior in the gospels. He is father and lover and husband to me. But in the book of Revelation, he is the judge. Let me tell you what the judge looks like in the book of Revelation. In a passage in the book of Revelation, it said, and the great men of the earth saw Jesus coming and they cried with fear and begged the mountains to fall on them that the mountains might hide them from the face of him who is now on the earth. Does that sound like gentle Jesus to you? Dear ones, deal with him as the shepherd before you have to deal with him as the judge. And we want to bow our knee to him now when he is our friend, our savior, our redeemer, our, our shepherd. Do not face him as judge. And the book of Revelation shows him as judge. And it says he is so fierce that the mighty men of the earth want the mountains to hide them from Jesus when he comes back. Not a good place to be at that time. Of course, you see here the second coming. They mourn. <clears throat> Verse 31. Here we go. He will send his angels of the great trumpet to Hall River, North Carolina. They will gather together his chosen ones from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. What's going to happen when Jesus comes back? They're going to be a big roundup. A roundup. And the Bible said in Ephesians chapter 2, at the culmination of the fullness of the times, God will gather together in one place all the family of God, both those who are in heaven and those who are on earth. God's family is in two places. His heart is for them to be in one place. That's what the second coming of Jesus is. A couple of details about this that are just wonderful. Verse 36 says this, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels know, my father only. Who's the only person that knows the day Jesus is coming back? Don't let anybody who do you. I can give you 88 reasons why Jesus is not coming back in 1988. Y'all didn't get that, did you? All right, I'm a young preacher in 1988. Some of you older ones got it. 1980, I'm a young preacher. And a nuclear scientist wrote a book called 88 Reasons Jesus is Coming Back in 88. Somebody handed it to me and said, I, I know we're not supposed to know, but I'm telling you, this guy knows. I'm telling you, you need to read this. And I just thought, what, do you smoke? I thought you quit smoking that stuff. What is the matter with you? And that book had a tremendous circulation in our nation. Well, guess what? Guess what cured that? 1989 cured that. I was shocked at the big time national preachers who were hawking that book on TV. Let me make an announcement. Jesus did not come back in 88. I hear it all the time on Christian television, which is a good place to sleep in front of on Christian television. We know. No, you don't. What does the Bible say? Only God knows. Now, you can know the close proximity. You should know the proximity. Matter of fact, let me show that to you. Verse 32, learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches become tender and puts forth leaves, you know summer's near. I may be smart enough to do that. All right, I may be smart enough. When you're outside and you see little tiny green shoots coming out, you know it ain't November, Bubba. Springtime is here. I maybe can do that. All right, watch what the Bible says in the next, the next verse. Verse 33, so you also, when you see all these things, know it is near at the door. So what the Bible said right there. You should be able to approximate the second coming of Jesus. When you see these signs starting to take place, you need to know he is near even at the door. And then uh, let me address something here. And we're going to look at one verse. A lot, of, a lot of people that I love dearly in the nation are preaching that, that we're going to have a resurrection of glory in this nation and other nations. And the world's going to get better and better for the second coming of Jesus. 
And a lot of people are, are even being adamant about that. And I'm, I'm not talking about a few weirdos. I'm talking about major preachers right now saying that the world's going to improve. If we just pray the world could improve, let's settle it from God. Let's let Jesus address that. Verse 37 says this. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. That settles it. If you want to know what world conditions are going to be when Jesus gets back to this earth, what do you need to do according to that verse? Just turn to the book of Genesis chapter 6 and read what it was like in the days of Noah. Some of you got a good idea. Let me tell you something. It's going to be like that when Jesus comes back. I wish we could pray this earth better and better and then hand it off to Jesus and say, look what we did for you. Not going to happen. We're going to see a deterioration before the second coming of Jesus. So let's settle that thing. And again, let me tell you something. Nobody hits it perfect. I don't claim to know everything about it, but I know this. We need to stick with this book in every area, everything. Uh, one of the great delusions going out in the earth right now is that Jesus is not, and this is the sticking point. This is the hill we need to down right here. Jesus is not the only way to heaven. Listen, one of the major preachers in our city right here wrote an article in the Burlington Times News and said, it makes me so angry when these preachers say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. How dare them? That is demonic deception. Humanity has one hope. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. There's one name given under heaven whereby we must be saved and there's salvation in no other name. And he said, Brother Brian, we shouldn't fight over theological issues. We're fighting over people's eternities there and we need to hold to the truth on that issue. Now, whether we should sing hymns or choruses, you pick it out, I'll holler no matter what. But when it comes to the people's eternity, that's not an issue we can play with there. And Jesus, we stick with the book in these things. All right, let me quit by saying this. What's the most important thing about, the, about us and knowing about the second coming of Jesus? It's not that we know the events, it's that we have the right attitude. It's that we have the right perspective. Now, some people preach on the coming events and they get all gloom and doom and sad and down in the mouth and they get canned tuna fish and bottled water and an AR-15 and get in a bunker in Montana and wait on Jesus. No, how can you be the light of the world stuck in a bunker sucking on tuna fish? That ain't gonna work right there. <laughs> There's no doom and gloom in the Bible about this thing. We gotta have the right attitude. Out of the right attitudes, the most important thing is our attitude about the second coming of Jesus. I'm going to make an announcement. Please show me mercy here. The American church is failing the test today. Look, look at the condition of the church today, just over what we've been through in the first six months of this year. Let me make an announcement from Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5. If you are worn out running with footmen, what are you going to do when you've got to race against horses? If you have been wearied in this comfortable land, what will you do in the jungles of Vietnam? Jeremiah said in chapter 12, verse 5. You know what he said? If this is wearing you out, you better brace up because it's going to get worse. He said, there's something neurotic about you to be excited about this. Briefly, we'll go into this. Well, let me just make an announcement. We have built a faith in America that centers on comfort and rejects suffering. We're talking about our breakthrough. Don't get your breakthrough. I hope you do get a breakthrough. But I'm going to tell you something. You better be ready to break through. That's what we better read. <clears throat> Our dear friends in Iran, my brothers and sisters in Iran, China, North Korea, India right now, they're praying fervently day and night, God help us stand strong during persecution. Don't let us dishonor you with the suffering we're going through. That's what's being prayed all over the globe by Christians right now. I'm watching Christian television not long ago and I saw a lady and she said, God answers prayer. I thought, amen, finally somebody telling the truth. She said, I went shopping at the mall the other day and I prayed for a parking space right up front and right as I got there, the first space opened and God answered my prayer. God have mercy. We have built a theology around, he's my candy man and he's gonna make my life cush. I started to get the phone number and call her and say, no, you, you didn't hear him. He wants you to park at the back of the lot because gracious knows looked to me like you could use the exercise. Now get out of that front spot. <laughs> what have we done to, to biblical Christianity in this land where it all centers around how cush my life can be? It's not about a comfortable life. It's about a glorious life. Our goal is not to bride ease. Our goal is to glorify God. All right, let me show you a scripture and wrap it up here. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 
I've, heard, I've actually heard people say, I don't believe God would have his people suffer. Let's just let the Bible settle it. Now, suffer by disease? No. You can't find that anywhere in scripture. And sometimes I suffer by my own stupidity. But there is a place where it is an honor to stand up, stand up for Jesus. The battle won't be long. All right, 1 Peter 4 again, verse 12. 1 Peter 4, 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Guess what I'm hearing all the time? This is strange, isn't it? What did the Bible just say? Don't think it's strange when you get in a trial because of Jesus and because of following Jesus gets you in trouble. What not? Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. When his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, whine and mourn and go home. When people give you a hard time because you love Jesus, what does the Bible say? Blessed are you. Here's why. The spirit of God is going to rest on you. The presence of God's going to be with you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but you, in you he's glorified. Now let me clear verse 15. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or nosy. Evildoer or nosy in other people's matters. Anybody here nosy? You don't know what a busybody is. Not somebody's nosy. Isn't it funny that God puts nosy people with murderers, thief, and evildoers? <laughs> Must be a mistranslation in my Bible here. You know what he's saying? If you're suffering because you act like an idiot, we don't want to hear about it. Sorry, I just, I just love the Bible. Thought I'd throw that in. Verse 16, but if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Glorify God. Magnify him. Now, therefore, verse 19, let's settle it. Those who suffer according to the will of God, commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. We need to stand up and say, me being comfortable is not the most important thing to me anymore. Me glorifying Jesus, if I have to suffer in it, that's what's important now. We need a new theology of following Jesus in this land that says Jesus is Lord and he's worthy. All right, let me give you two words from heaven concerning your life in the next few days. Number one is from Esther 4.14. Know you not that you were born for such a time as this. That's the word to you, right? If you're alive, that's God's word to you, right? You were born for such a time as this. Me and my wife Pick said, we should have been born in the 1800s. No, we shouldn't. We'd be dead by now. I happened to life like, like life back in different times. Let me tell you something. I was born, the Bible said in Acts chapter 14, I was born on the exact day God wanted me born and in the exact place he wanted me born. He determined their times and their locations. A lot of people saying, well, if all this is going to happen, I'm nervous for my children. You listen to me. Your children were born for such a time as this. If you've got a nine-month-old baby, that baby was born for such a time as this. God knew thousands of years ago the exact day that child will be born. He has a plan for that child's life. He is going to bring it to pass. Now, we're starting to hear a movement in the land today where people, young couples are saying, well, if this is coming, why even get married and have children? Because God told you to go do it and enjoy it. And I'm going to live as though Jesus were a thousand years away. I'm going to the rodeo Friday. Hope he don't catch me at the rodeo when he comes back. I'd rather be right here. But I'm going to live as though he's coming a thousand years away. But I'm ready if he comes right now. And if I had my druthers, I would let him wait. I'm ready to go. Some people are not. So my message is, would y'all hurry up and get saved so we can get out of here. Get the show on the road. We get the rolling here. And the other word is this. Oh, we, we, this is a message. This is just crazy to the American church. God does not deliver people from the fire. He gets in the fire with them. That's the message. That's all through the New Testament. That the glory, Listen, if, if you're reproached, if you suffer for following Jesus, the Spirit of God's going to rest on you. And that's going to be wonderful. Does anybody remember where that happened in the Bible? There's a physical picture of this in a book called Daniel. Three Hebrew children stood up to a pagan god, a demon-possessed king who hated their god. And he said, you don't bow down to me. What a picture was going on in our land today. You don't bow down like I tell you to and say what I tell you to say. I'll throw you in the fire. Is that not what's going on in our land today? And then boys bowed up and said, let us give you a quick answer. Stick it in your ear, dear. We ain't bowing down to you or anybody else. Our God whom we serve will deliver us. He is able. But if we don't, we'd rather fry than bow. Amen. 
Our king just loves that kind of stuff. They did throw them in the fire, and what happened? Did we not throw three in the fire, but I see four walking around in there with them, and the fourth is like the son of God? Listen, here's biblical truth. You're not going to be delivered from suffering. Jesus is going to walk with you through the thing. But now wait a minute. Let's read the next verse. And the satraps bought them out and they examined them and saw that the fire had not affected them. They did not even smell like smoke. Man, I'm telling you, the presence of God, all, all garbage is going to be happening, craziness in these last days. And we're going to be standing there smiling, singing, what a friend we have in Jesus. That is the right attitude. Uh, can I throw in one more? Where have y'all got to be? I mean, it's, you're supposed to be home in the bed anyway, so. You're going to see splitting attitudes in the coming. You watch this. You see if this doesn't come to pass. Luke 21 is where Jesus taught on this. It's another passage where he talked about the second coming. You're going to see splitting attitudes across the globe. See if you don't see this. When these things begin to happen, it talks about the tremors in the earth. Men's hearts will be failing them with fear over the expectation of things to come. You're going to see people so nervous and so upset about what's coming in the earth. But listen to the next verse for believers. When you see these things begin to come to pass, lift up your heads and rejoice knowing that your redemption draweth nigh. So what you're going to have in the future, one crowd going to be crying, another's going to be hollering, he's on his way. Those are the split attitudes. Right, let me show you the scripture and then we're done. I promise. I promise. Right there, I got it marked. We're done. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. I want to show you the greatest. I love this attitude. Have I ever mentioned that life evolves around attitudes, not money? There was just all about attitudes. Acts chapter 20. You, now, I love my beloved brother Paul. You realize he, uh, well, it sure ain't in the book of Romans. Turn to Acts, biggers. In the book of Acts chapter 20. Let me show you the attitude we want concerning things that are going on in the earth. Now, y'all heard of the apostle Paul. He was a man that hated God. He had a meeting with God, started loving him, started preaching. This man suffered like no man's ever suffered. I mean, he was beaten. He was marauded. He was lied about, denied, put in prison, shipwrecked, floated in the deep, starved, cold. Uh, this man went through it. I have never seen it. This man was carved out of granite. I mean, they had a little fellow went on a missionary trip one time with him. His name was John Mark. And they started to kill him. And John Mark got mad and went home. Paul said, he'll never travel with me again. If you're not ready to die right now, go back to your mama. I mean, he just wanted him. Son, he was carved out of rock. The glory of God's all that mattered. I think he's looking for, I think he's looking for death by Romans is what he's looking for. But in Acts chapter 20, I want you to read what he writes. This is the last time he's beaten with preachers. Acts 20, 22. And see now, I go bound in the spirit. Acts 20, 22. He said, I've been with you. I've loved you. I've preached to you. Verse 22, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that in the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, change and tribulations await me. If you walk with God and you're going to have trouble, why do you write that? What do you say? He said, look, he, said, this last, he told him earlier, this last time you'll ever see my face. God has told me this is your last trip. You're going to die here. And he said, I don't know exactly what's going to happen to me, but the Holy Spirit's told me every city you put your, put your foot in, you will be in chains and you'll be tormented. Who wants to go on that mission trip? Let's all sign up and get matching t-shirts and go with him. What do you think? You want to see an attitude? Watch this. Verse 24, none of these things move me. Right there's your attitude. That doesn't bother me one bit. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. <laughs> Be, you know what he just said? Beat me, I don't care. Put me in jail, I don't matter. Kill me, it don't matter to me none. My only goal is that I might finish my race with what? He said, I don't care if it gets hard. I don't care if they beat me. I don't care if they put me in prison. I don't care if they kill me. I am going to finish what God put me on this earth to do. And how's he going to do it? Hollering. I'm going to finish my course with joy. Are you going to be one of them saints that barely crawls into glory with an Excedrin bottle in one hand and a bottle of wine in the other hand and we barely got in here? Is that going to be you? Are you going to slide in sideways, ripped, broken, and torn with scars and bruises and splattered and side wheels saying, what a ride. Are you happy? Son, we need to get our attitude right concerning what's coming on the earth. You said that's like a drug type attitude or something. Yep, I done took a pill. I took the gospel is what I took. And we're going to be excited about Jesus till the day he gets back. And I'm going to live on that pill. I'm going to live on pills till Jesus gets back. 
Oh, I love the second coming of Jesus. You know why? That'd be the greatest day of my life when I see Jesus face to face. Uh, this is what we're living for, dear ones. We weren't living for a comfortable earth. We're living to see the face of Jesus. Now, I'm going to say it again. If you ain't saved, would you hurry up so we can get out of here? Oh, Jesus, I praise you and thank you. Like a bride waiting for her groom, we'll be ready. Thank you so much for the, oh, Lord Jesus, all of life evolves around you. You're the only thing worth getting up in the morning for. In you, we live and move and have our being. You are truth and life and hope and help. You are the creator of the universe. I was not created to live on this planet, Kush. I was created to see you face to face and to love you and worship you and praise you. Thank you for writing so much in your word. Thank you for your precious holy word that shows us. If, they, if we didn't believe the Bible before now, we ought to believe it because it's just like today's newspaper. Thank you for the promises of God. Thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit that gives us such grace. And Lord Jesus, soon and very soon, this temporary life will come to an end, whether it's a few days or a few years. This life will come to an end and we will look back. And how comfortable our recliner was will not be the issue. How Jesus was glorious will be the issue. I pray for every person in this room that they would make up their minds and set their faces like a flint. As my beloved brother Paul said, none of that stuff moved. I'm not moved by anything. I just want to finish my course with the joy of Jesus. I dear Lord Jesus may not be the right thing to say, but I'm going to say it. I hope I go out of here making the devil so mad because no matter what he does, I can't stop that boy from smiling and hollering. Let it be that we might finish our course with joy and say, Jesus led me all the way. Father, I pray for every person in this room. Anybody in this room is not saved yet. Lord Jesus, open their eyes that they are walking on a rotten canvas stretched over the mouth of hell and every step they take, they put their foot down on that canvas. Why would anybody live so close to the edge when they can run to the arms of Jesus? I want to praise you and thank you. After reading the book of Revelation and seeing the judge in Revelation, that I ran to the shepherd before I had to face the judge. Thank you for the cross of Christ that's everything to us. Let Jesus be glorified in our lives. Come hell or high water. In his precious name we pray. Amen.